Creating trauma-informed spaces can seem like a big undertaking for schools. For some, it can feel heavy and challenging because a part of doing this well involves a lot of reflection from the adults in schools. Well, enter Isis Clay, who explains that your story is a way to own your own healing by stepping outside of your experiences and looking at them objectively. She drives home the idea that the most generous thing we can do for our students is take care of ourselves. And Isis reminds us that while personal reflection and healing is essential, even life-saving, it can also be creative and fun. Get ready for this excellent conversation with Isis. And if you're ready to be your best self, grab your spot in Thrive. This five-week course will give you the tools to shift your paradigm of success and create the pathway to live your best life, which is how we show up as our best selves, both in and out of the classroom. It's time to decide that you want to do more than just survive and get through the day. It's time to thrive. Registration is now open, so sign up at empowerededucator.com slash thrive. Remember all the passion and vision you had when you first went into teaching? Feeling like building young minds and creating community through your work would make a lasting impact on this world? Well, those days may feel like they're behind you now because you're exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed and frustrated, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, the love of teaching never really went away, but it absolutely needs transformation. Welcome to the Take Notes Podcast. I'm Jen Rafferty, former music teacher mom of two, and certified emotional intelligence practitioner. And I'm here to light the way for you. In order to create a generational change for our kids, we need to shift the paradigm away from the perpetual stress and overwhelm and into a life of joy and fulfillment. This is Education 2.0, where you become the priority, shift how you live your life, and how you show up both at work and at home. So, Take a sip of steamy morning coffee and grab your notebook. It's time to take notes. Hello, and welcome back to Take Notes. I am so excited to introduce the next guest today. She and I met a little while ago, actually, through all of the social medias. (laughs) And I was a huge fan of her work. And we had the pleasure of just chatting and getting to know each other. And when I started season two, I couldn't wait to have her on and have a conversation that all of you can benefit from too. So Isis Clay is here and she is a distinguished teacher, a multidisciplinary theater artist and an educational consultant. She is a featured speaker and facilitator for the National Education Theater Association and for Smart Technologies Teacher Summer Reboot Conference. She's developed a curricula for the Maryland Department of Juvenile Services, Prince George's County Public Schools, as well as several educational theater companies across the nation. Combining her extensive background in theater and education, Isis founded Sculpted Clay Productions, LLC, where she uses keynotes, arts-infused residencies, and professional development workshops to help schools create trauma-sensitive spaces that are focused on social-emotional wellness and creativity for both teachers and students. Hello. Hi. I am so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Jen. I'm excited to sit down and talk to you as well. It's been a second. It has. I But I have my eye on you. I see what's up. 
you are busy and I'm just loving everything that I'm seeing and that you're putting out in the world because for me also as a musician, as growing up as a theater kid, it's so cool to see the social emotional work being married to arts, especially when too often arts is kind of pushed aside as a nice to have, where when you come about it, it is a necessity. Necessity. Yes. Must have. Yes. It's more than just social emotional learning and it's more than just arts. It is together always. And that's really how we elevate our understanding of both and our own human creativity. You got it, Jen. That is it. Mm. In a tiny nutshell, actually, that is it. Absolutely. My work always focuses on the arts. It infuses the arts in everything that I do, whether it's a professional development for teachers, whether it's a residency for students, whether it's a workshop online, it always has an element of the arts, an element of creativity in it. And just like you said, so many people look at the arts as just art or just the thing. And it can be. But when we're talking about arts in school, we're talking about so much more, Mm. so much more. And all of these things, all this social and emotional learning is infused inherently in the arts. And I think it's just now that some people are coming around and understanding the importance of it and how it does integrate so seamlessly and the things that we are trying to shore up in our students and in ourselves. So, yeah. And making it explicit because I think oftentimes, and I know I can talk to this as a former music teacher in the public schools, as soon as the social emotional learning thing comes around, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, we do that already. Well, we do it already, but no. (laughs) Right. Yes. And there is so much more that is possible. And a lot of that comes from going within yourself as a teacher. That's a huge part of your work. So I would love for you to, because we can go on off right there and just continue. (laughs) You know, your story is so beautiful. And I would love for you to share with our listeners how you got to where you are and how Sculpted Clay came to be, because that is fascinating to me. Yeah. So I was the theater major in college. And had every bit of an understanding that that's what I was going to be. I was going to be an actress and that's it. However, I started a family and moved to the Washington, D.C. area. And I needed a job that supported my family in a way that I was a new actress. So it wasn't really supporting it in a way that I needed. And so I started teaching with the Maryland Department of Juvenile Services. It was the Maryland Department of Juvenile Justice is what it was called back then. And I went in kicking and screaming. I did not want to teach because I saw it as a trap, honestly, at the time. And it took, I know, maybe a week, maybe two before I fell in love, before I just fell in love with teaching, but more importantly, with connecting with young people. I was at the Maryland Department of Juvenile Services for um, about two and a half years. And as you can imagine, that is an organization where the young people are dealing with heavy amounts of trauma, heavy, you know, some of the worst times of their lives, you know, of their young lives. And I wasn't given supports to deal with that. I was a theater teacher. I was very empathetic. I had a magic power for connecting with young people, but I did not have the tools to make sure that I was well enough to continue helping those young people. And so I left there, unfortunately, and then I went to public school and I was thinking, yay, 
No more rough home lives. No more of the things that I had to deal with and the things that I had to mentor young people through in the Department of Juvenile Justice. Well, if you've ever taught in public school, you know how ridiculous that sounds because whether you are teaching in an urban environment, whether you are teaching in a rural environment, students deal with trauma. Families deal with trauma. And so I brought all of that baggage and unresolved and unhealed things that I had dealt with with the state of Maryland and brought it into the public school and stayed there for many, many years. I left in year 15. And unfortunately, during that time, I lost a couple of students. They passed away. And along with being that teacher, that strong teacher that the students come to, to get mentorship from, that colleagues come to, I was dealing with grief and I did not know how to fix that. I did not know what to do with that. When a student passes away or there's a loss in the school system, whether it's a teacher or anyone in the school system, there's always that canned response that comes over the intercom, right? That there'll be grief counselors here should you need them, should any student or staff needs them. And students are given the latitude and the time. If someone's in your class and they're having a hard time, then you can send them out and they can go see someone. Teachers do not have that ability. And so a lot of times we push it down. We push all of that down and just keep on moving, keep on moving. And I couldn't do that anymore. I had done it to the point of breaking. And so I ended up leaving. Although I loved, loved teaching theater. I loved what I call my unicorns. Those are my students. I realized that I was breaking inside. And so I left thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to be an actress. That's it. I'm going to go. Now's my time. I'm going to be an actress. And (laughs) one of my very good friends, had a theater company at the time and we had lunch and she was like, okay, so what's next? What are you going to do? And I was like, ah, I don't know, audition for something. And she was like, well, I have this opportunity. If you want to write something, you can write it and perform. I'll give you all the information. Cool. Well, the next week she told me it was at the Kennedy Center here in Washington, D.C. It was a performance for the Kennedy Center. And so I wrote a solo show about my journey in and through education, dealing with What I didn't know at the time was compassion fatigue and burnout. And that's what I did. I took my art form and created some healing for myself and in the process, healing and transformation for other teachers. Wow. It is beautiful. And isn't it interesting looking back, how could you have ever anticipated that your pain and hardship and struggle turned into something like this. I, I could cry. It's not even my story. And, I, I, and I'm here. It is so remarkable to hear that journey and to see the healing that happens as you move through the process of becoming. Yeah, it hits me hard. The solo show is now a part of a professional development that I have been absolutely blessed to tour around the country to many different schools and school systems. And every time that I do it, it hits me in the gut. You would think that after performing it all these times that it would be, I don't know, kind of numb. You know what's going to come up. You know how it's going to play out. But I am very explicit about some of the losses that we experience as teachers. I'm also very explicit about some of the joys, a lot of the joys that we have. And every time that I perform it, I go through this roller coaster again, and it takes me a second afterwards to kind of 
recenter myself and go forward. But I say this all the time in writing this, this play, this, it was about me. You know, it was about my healing. It was about my students and telling their stories. But in sharing it, I found this empowerment and I found this sense of camaraderie with teachers. Every time I perform it, teachers come up and say, oh my gosh, you just told my story. And in a lot of ways, that makes me sad. But then I know that I'm going to give them this professional development and the supports that I needed at the time, you know, so that we can begin to heal and they can stay in the classroom if they choose to do so. And I think that's something that's really important and and something I value so much, too, is that community building through sharing stories. Yes. I think oftentimes we have shame about our emotions connected to our stories or self-judgment about the emotions that we feel about our past. And we don't feel comfortable being vulnerable in certain spaces and places because it doesn't feel safe. However, when you create safety or you find spaces where it is safe and you share your story, what starts to happen is that not only do you heal yourself, but as you just said, you make it safe for other people then to share their stories. Absolutely. And that's one of the main reasons why I share it in the professional development. There are a couple of reasons. One, because I know me personally, I was tired of sitting in PDs that did not get me. Wait, what? You you were unhappy with your professional development experiences when you were teaching? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. And I wanted something that would capture them immediately, but also something that Like you said, you said that word safety that would allow them to begin looking at their journeys and not numbers, you know, not in data, but literally how has this journey or how has my journey in education changed me and how has it changed the young people and the adults that I come across daily? What has my journey done? I know this teaching in this pandemic has created Well, you know what? It's not just the pandemic's fault. Let me be very clear about that. Education was breaking and tearing at the seams even before the pandemic. And a lot of times guilt is kind of thrown on teachers and like used as a battering ram, as a carrot even to keep going. I know me personally, for many years, I've said, I can't leave. If I leave, then what about the kids? What about the students? Who will make sure they're okay? And so by strapping them on my back, it made me feel like I need to push all this away. I need to push my story down. I need to not focus on that. I need to focus on the ones and the twos, the data, that's it. Get students where they need to be without focusing on me. And we see what happened. I ended up having to leave because of all the other things. So by sharing this story and empowering others to tell their stories, we get to a point where we don't just see the negatives, you know? We don't just see the frayed edges of education, which are so easy to see. Well, let's not say frayed edges, the cracks, huge gaping holes. That was really polite. I said, (laughs) right. (laughs) Yeah, they're cracks. They're huge, huge cracks. Yes. (laughs) They're craters in education right now. And it's so easy to see that and focus just on that. But when we actually take a step back and look at our journeys, um, We see the beauty. We see the whys. We reconnect with 
why we started teaching in the first place, but more importantly, why we continue to teach. Yeah, you and I have had that conversation too about connecting to your why. And what I think is important to just talk for a minute here and pause here is that sometimes that becomes a little bit bastardized as a way to just say, well, remember your why, guys, because, but that still, I think, is the same thing as a guilt carrot, which I think is just a foul tasting carrot. I'm like imagining that guilt carrot. <laughs> it's grain and mushy. <laughs> It's a disgusting carrot, but it's there and it's so prevalent in a lot of the way that we think about what we're supposed to do, right? And and how we're supposed to show up for our kids. But what we talk about in the work that we do is about embodying something greater than just what's in front of you. It's activating your why. It's not just remembering, connecting, finding that inspiration, which then leads to an integrative practice of actions, of language, of of thoughts and, and how we show up. And it's so important to differentiate those two things. Absolutely. A thousand percent. You hit it on the head because before it was do it for the kids. That was the the phrase, do it for the students, do it for the kids. And then it became, remember your why, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, it's the same thing. You're you're saying the same thing, but you're absolutely right. What does that look like when we are challenging educators to get rid of that negative carrot that's been kind of force-fed to us for years and years and years and has become a part of our psyche? How can we get that thought out of place and really re-energize and become the teacher that we want to become. You know, no one wants to be a bad teacher. There's no one in, you know, in the teaching profession who wants to be a bad teacher. It's just about how to do that. And the way that I go through is with reigniting creativity and not just about the arts. It's not just about using. Yeah. And that's, that's what I want to talk about too, is that, you know, how you use your tools and your experience with theater, with writing, with creative arts to get people there. How do they get there? Yeah. So it's funny when I first started out and, and even now I focused a lot on play, on adult play. There's this thing that happens, this phenomena that happens to a lot of people. The age is different for different people, but there is a point that you hit and you think, okay, I'm too old for play. (laughs) And we forget how important it is for our mental wellness, for our physical wellness, for our social wellness. And so I started there. I started there. So not necessarily with the word creativity, but with play. Okay. So what types of things did you like to do when you were younger? How did you like to play? Because that's very telling on the type of person that you are. You know, someone who likes to play imaginative games, like who like to play school and they always wanted to be the teacher or they always wanted to be the principal or they always wanted to be the parent versus the person who loved puzzles, like putting those puzzles together. Or like me, I was the nerd in school that loved the word finds. You know, if teacher give us word finds, it was jackpot day for me. And so what did you like to play? Like, how did you like to play? And how can we start integrating little by little that back into your life? Yeah. And also just pause there for a second, too, because play is so important and we don't talk about it enough. We don't we don't put value on it after kindergarten and like play centers. It's We are serious and it is work and pressure. And so even exploring this thought for people can be uncomfortable. And I'm wondering someone listening to this right now and is thinking to themselves, 
that sounds like a really good idea, but I'm not totally sure how I would even start to get there. What would you tell them? Like, where could they start even just giving themselves permission to do this little piece? And that's the thing. That is it. Giving themselves permission. So a lot of times we have these mindsets around our time, right? That we don't have time for it. You know, that's lovely, but I don't have time for play. When am I going to do that? And that's a misconception because it's what you choose. Your time is what you choose. And I always start with my clients and my teachers with 10 minutes. Or if you can't think, if 10 minutes seems like daunting, five minutes. What can you do in five minutes? What can you do if you are a physical player? You know, if if you like to do things, what can you do on your walk into the school building or you walk out of the school building? Kick a rock. Or what about if there's a sidewalk or even close to your car that you did a little Mm -hmm. hopscotch board? Now, if you did a hopscotch board, how many people can really like walk past a hopscotch board? So nine times out of 10, you're going to have some of your students use it too, which is helpful for them as well. But just in that mindset of putting little itty bitty things in your day, tiny little things, choosing you for five minutes. What can you do to choose you for five minutes? And when we say five minutes, that makes it seem like nothing at all. But five minutes starts to add up. And honestly, Five minutes starts to get a little longer but when you invest yourself in the time. You, you realize that, oh, it's been 10 minutes. Great. I played for 10 minutes today. So it starts with that. Like you said, giving yourself permission on time and realizing that you can choose five minutes. You can choose 10 minutes. You can choose an hour out of your day. But I know an hour can sound daunting. So we start small. Yeah, that's totally doable. And again, like you said, share it because your kids are people too. <laughs> yes. And they've probably yes. gotten to play also if they're older than five years old. So to not just model it, but encourage everybody. Exactly. Exactly. And then one of the things that that does when you, when our students and our children, you know, if your parent sees us playing, they see us even more authentically. Mm. A lot of times we have on our teacher mask or our parent mask or adult mask, you know, adults don't do that. But when we allow ourselves to just be and give ourselves over to play and we bring them into the world with it, the authenticity creates a connection that all teachers really are looking for with our students because we know students learn better when they're connected and they feel a sense of community with their teacher in their classes. Mm, Absolutely. And you're totally regulated because you're happy. You've just been playing a little while. So what's next then? You know, how do you then make the transition from play to creativity for the purposes of mental well-being? Yeah. So one of the way that I go into this, my path into mental wellness for educators is through storytelling. I encourage them to explore whatever creativity, whatever creative means that feels authentic to them. And in my program that I offer teachers, we also do a little bit of visual art. We incorporate music. We don't play the music, but creating uh, playlists that speak to our soul. That's something really easy that can you can do while you're working. But finding ways to put whatever art form inspires you. But like I said, my way in is through storytelling. Like I was saying earlier, looking at your story, looking at your journey, your journey with your students and using that as a mental wellness tool, using that as a way to 
snap out of, sometimes we can get very negative. Again, like I said before, it's so easy. It's easy to fall down that well, but that's not helpful. And so I walk teachers through the journey of writing their own memoirs, many memoirs, and we look at it through poetry. We look at it through the narrative form, just like a memoir. We look at it through performance art, um, of course, because I'm a, you know, a theater geek. And so we look at writing monologues and scenes and playing those out and using that as a means of, okay, stepping outside of my experiences and looking at it. I coach my teachers all the time that it's a difference telling your story from inside of it versus on top of it. And when we tell our story from inside of it, that's that negativity because we can't see the whole of it. We just see this wall of negativity that's coming towards us. But when we're able to get on top of it, and the way we do that is by giving ourselves permission to play, by giving ourselves permission to spend time for ourselves, five, 10, 20 minutes mindfulness is a big thing in what I teach. So as well. Yes. Sign me up. <laughs> yes. Yes. To all of that. Yes. Because a lot of the work that I am doing for myself personally is a lot of that introspective work, you know, coming out and being objective and being this non-judgmental observer kind of outside yourself, because that's where you get the perspective. But then to, on top of that, have that creativity and that art and that writing just adds a whole nother layer of richness and understanding and healing that I imagine is extremely powerful for everybody who takes your classes. It does. There's also something, you know, a barrier that comes up with a lot of people and that's this perfectionism. And so the art that we do is meant to be messy. And a lot of people have trouble with that in the first like week or two that they work with me. They're like, okay, so what is this supposed to look like in the end? I don't know. Neither do you. That's not your business. <laughs> you know, your business right now is just to write what's on your heart or draw what's on your heart or create whatever song is calling to you, putting that on your list. It's not about, I know that I am going to draw a house with a sun and the sun has to, you know, it's, it's not about that, which is why I use Zentangling. Have you ever heard of that? No, tell me more. Yeah. Zentangling is a mindfulness doodling exercise. Honestly, it's something that I have, I started my last year in school as I was teaching and shared it with my seniors and it's amazing. So there is no outcome, just like with doodling. When you're doodling on the paper, you, there's no outcome to that. You're just going as you go. There are certain strokes. I think there's like, I won't say how many there are, but there are certain strokes that you can use, a straight line, a wiggle line, a curve, that kind of deal. And then you just put it all together as it comes to you. And there's no right or wrong with it. It's very freeing. And so it gives you an opportunity to engage in artistic work without that idea of what it should look like, what I should be doing. And it allows you to really focus in on your intuition, which is what we want. Right. How interesting, though. So as educators, yes, there are certain metrics that we want our students to be able to reach. And at the same time, mm -hmm. we also have a responsibility to foster this other part of the mess and the mistakes and the creative process 
that doesn't necessarily have an ending because let's face it, at the end of the day, when we measure success of a student, I don't care how much we say holistic, 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 the kid who gets on the honor roll, the kid who has all the A's. And even if you are in a school district that has flipped a little bit of that paradigm, there is still a societal culture that is in the air that we breathe that the kids pick up on an experience themselves of reaching for the A, getting on the honor roll, being the first kid who leads the line or, you know, or whatever. And it's redefining success for us as teachers. And how then do we integrate that into our classes for our kids? Because what you're doing is teacher-centered, just like my work. But at the end of the day, it is really about the kids. <laughs> Absolutely. I think what you're saying, though, is a bigger issue than classroom base. Mm. You know, it's a culture base. It's not even just a school base. It could be, you know, school system base. It could be the educational system base. It could be societal base. That idea of being the best and what that looks like. And, and like you said, what success looks like. I do think as teachers, we can start finding little ways to challenge that norm. Not necessarily, I don't think we can change it like next week or this school year. Of course not, right. When we start with ourselves and challenging our own internal meter of perfection, you know, our own mean girl voice that always tells us, you know, we're either not good enough or what, how is it supposed to be? It has to be perfect. When we start challenging that and finding ways to do so, we can start putting little things like zentangling for warm up or cool down or whatever it is in classes. And then just subtly getting students to realize that there really are no mistakes, right? It's just an opportunity to learn and to try something different. And I think that would help so much, so many people. I wrote a show when I was actually in school. It was based off of, and uh, what I was teaching, I keep saying in school, when I was teaching, it was based off of a journal that I found in my mom's house that I had written in high school. And it was so full of angst, right? This teenage angst. And and I was looking at my students and I was like, wow, they're literally going through some of the same things that I was going through at 15 or at 16 or whatever. And so I wrote this show and one of the characters, and the reason why I bring it up is this, this idea of pressure. None of the characters have, they don't say their names. So in the script, it's bookworm. And they deal with, a huge amount of pressure, not peer pressure, but parental pressure and societal pressure to be perfect, which leads them to making bad choices. You know, we think that it's the one who skips class that's going to be making this bad choice with drugs and, and things like that. But it's actually this kid because it's so much pressure to be perfect. So we have to look at that and how we are approaching that as teachers and how we are either encouraging that or, like I was saying before, disrupted little by little. Right. And you're 100% correct when you say it. it starts with yourself. It's so cliche when we say, you know, be the change. But that's the only thing that you have the ability to change is yourself. Yes. And it has to start yes. there. And just kind of circling back to what we were talking about earlier is when you start to shift and change and share it paves the way for other people to shift and change and share. And I'm sure that's what you've been observing in the schools that you've been working with. Yeah, absolutely. 
So powerful. Oh my gosh. I just continue to want to learn more and just absorb all of the things that you're putting out into this world because it's just such beautiful growing and healing. And we need to do both in order to continue to stay on the path of where we want to go. There has to be both. And it doesn't have to be so serious all the time. It can be playful and joyful and exciting and beautiful. I would even say it has to be. Not that, you know, know, it has to be. If we're not finding the joy in educating children, that joy that we all had at one point, if we're not actively searching for that, then what are we doing? Yes. You know, we're making kids hate school. We're hating school. There is a joy there. And we just have to find what that spark is. And we have to get back to that. It's a must. Yes, it is not nice to have. It is a must have. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go, I need to ask big question here. What is your dream for the future of education? My dream for the future of education would have to be that we find a way for teachers to feel supported and able to turn that magic on. Mm. I think teachers are magical beings. I really do. And it sounds so weird. And every time I say that, I get a look from people. But teachers are magical beings. Being able to take what you know and impart it in many different ways to all these different students and then have your influence on their life reverberate is that a word? I think that's yeah, a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. through time. That's magic. It's starting to get brown around the edges and get dull. And my hope for education is that we're able to reignite that magic mm. and reignite that joy and not just ourselves, but our students. Yes. More of that, please. So how can people get in touch with you? What's a way for them to reach out, know more about your work and potentially even work with you and and find out more about how they can do that? Yeah, absolutely. The easiest way is to follow me on social media and you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram and it's at Sculpted Clay altogether at Sculpted Clay. Or if you're like, you know what? I don't do social media. You can always send me an email and it's at Isis, A-Y-E-S-I-S at SculptedClayProductions.com. Awesome. And of course, all of that will be in the show notes. So you'll have all of that really easily at your disposal. Click away, find out more about Isis and the gorgeous work that she is doing. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you are doing um, with educators and, and the positivity and the joy that you are putting out into the world. Thank you. I received that. Thank you very much. And I am just honored that we got a chance to know each other and that I get to hang out with you occasionally because <laughs> I just love learning from you and, and knowing you more. So for those of you listening, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to write a five-star review and we will talk with you next time on Take Notes. Incredible, right? Together, we can revolutionize the face of education. It's all possible. And it's all here for you right now. Let's keep the conversation going at Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook.